So you want to stand out, right? So you want to make sure you're not acting like everybody else, right? Well, we can help today on The Buyer's Mind. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to The Buyer's Mind. I am your host, Jeff Shore, on the podcast where we talk about the way that people buy and how do we make it easy for them to do that. We're not going to have a lot of banter today because we had a great interview with our own Ryan Taft on the subject of follow-up. Now, if you're a salesperson right now and you're saying, oh, boy, I don't know if I want to talk about follow-up, then you Definitely need to hear this because not only we're going to get to some of the cutting edge stuff in regards to the psychology of follow up, but we're going to throw out some suggestions to make you better right away. Let's jump right into our conversation with Ryan Taft. Well, it's always a good time when we have one of our own on the show, on the Shore Consulting staff, the one and only Ryan Taft joining us from Arizona. Ryan, how are you today, sir? I am doing absolutely fabulous. The weather's getting amazing and uh, life is good. How are you? And you are you are in Arizona because at the time that we're recording this, you have not spent a lot of time in Arizona, my friend. Uh, no. As a matter of fact, uh, I have been on the road about seven straight weeks and I get uh, a week home to uh, recalibrate and... Uh, you know, I, you know, you know how it is, Jeff. I, I, sure. I, I'm one of these folks who I, if I stay home too long, I start getting a little antsy. So, um, yeah, this is three weeks at home for me, which is odd. And then I'm going to jump back on, on the road boy and, and, uh, f just remind myself what, once again, uh, what it's like to uh, stand in TSA lines and, uh, um, uh, eat quickly on the fly and, and, uh, check into strange hotels and, and hope that somebody changed the sheets. <laughs> and hope yeah that's please don't remind me of that that's uh i've been working hard to not think about that so thank you oh you're welcome you're welcome yeah do you enjoy life on the road ryan i mean you're on the road a lot yeah, obviously there's a there is a scale here right some people are gonna look and say i hate it some people are gonna say i tolerate it and some people are gonna say i rather enjoy it you know it's a mixed bag um i'm in the position where my wife uh gets to travel with me every once in a while so mm -hmm. Uh, that I think that makes it a little bit easier than if uh, if I just was never home. I also don't have any small children at home. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm probably the small child of the family. So, uh, <laughs> so no, you know, I, I enjoy, you know what I enjoy most is I enjoy connecting with the people out on the road. Just last right. week, yeah. I did uh, I did five straight training days. Uh, Melissa was with me and we were in a different city every day of the week. And it was like a fun adventure for us. So, uh, but if, if we go too long where I'm on the road and she's at home, that gets a little bit challenging. So I just, I just love it when she comes out on the road with me. Cause it's, uh, right. you know, it's good. It's good stuff. Uh, uh, Karen tends to say to me, when you start booking jobs in Paris, Mm -hmm. or or vienna i'll go out on the road with you but uh yeah for some reason uh she, she she's a stay at home other than that uh you know it's interesting to me too as it relates to travel it's it's that oh yeah there are times when no i don't particularly enjoy the travel but i also know that i'm not cut out to sit behind a desk all day right that that environment would drive me a little nuts and so there's there's downsides to every job and if i have to put up with an airport yeah so be it so be it right that, that's ex that's exactly right and it's just like anything in life whatever happens to you it's how you perceive it it's you get to look at it and and decide how it impacts you so yeah right. you say oh my gosh i have to be in airports you could say you know what i get to be in airports because right. i get to 
observe human behavior, mannerisms, ego, uh, humbleness, yeah. all kinds of great things. Right, right. And like you, I just it's the impact on the people. It's the opportunity to work with really, really great people. And if I could find a way to bring all those people to my home, well, that would be great. But since that's highly impractical, I guess I have to go to them. Uh, well, we could try, but I think you're right. <laughs> We're going to talk uh, today about follow-up. I know this is something that you and I are both knee-deep in the subject of sales follow-up, what to do after that first conversation with a customer if they don't buy initially, uh, what's going to happen next. And uh, I know I'm knee-deep, of course, because I'm writing a book on the subject right now. You are knee-deep because you're working directly uh, on the front line uh, with sales professionals about this. And so we're going to get into that. And I want to start by talking about uh, the mental challenges that some salespeople have. You know, there there are salespeople out there who, um, you know, they, they work in a retail environment of sorts, whether they're selling homes or jewelry or cars or whatever it is, uh, where customers are going to come to them. There are other salespeople where they're going to go out and find the customers, are going to meet with them in their place of business, whatever the case may be. But we all love it when we say, here it is. I know your problem. I've got the solution. It's perfect. Let's buy it. Everybody's happy right there. We sign a contract. We're all good to go. Uh, but then when they don't say yes, what happens next is going to be really, really critical and actually defining not just of what happens with the customer, but quite frankly, what happens to the salesperson. So let's start there and let's talk about salespeople who are sometimes uh, putting so much hope in the strategy that somebody's going to tell them that they want to buy today, right now, that they don't spend enough time thinking about what it's going to take to keep this sale going. Yeah, you know, it's it, I, I almost hear like the Disney music and then the sun setting and uh, the happy ending because the sale happened on the first visit. And isn't that great? Um, you know, long gone are the days of 2006, um, where that was the case, especially in certain industries, like in the home building industry. Uh, you know, the thing about it uh, is it's actually more important what happens after they leave, after they after a customer does not purchase uh, in that initial visit, because a lot of the decision making actually happens uh, when that person leaves and you as the salesperson are not actually with them. and. My experience in this, Jeff, is that um, either I'm just a horrible customer or people just don't follow up. And what I mean by that is, as I go out and I visit different industries, whether it's, uh, and I love doing this, I know you do too. We've actually done this together um, on an occasion and we should do this more often. But as I'm out being a customer, just in my life, whether it's in a retail environment or in a, in a real estate environment or uh, cars, People just don't follow up with me. I mean, I rarely, rarely get follow up. I get advertisements and promotions and marketing pieces, but I rarely get follow up. I think I could count on one hand how many people have followed up with me in arguably the last 15 years. And again, I don't know if it's just because I don't look like I can afford anything. I don't think that's it, but it could be. Uh, but my, my guess is it's more or less just because people tend to do exactly what you said is they have this hope that people are just going to buy because they're in front of them. And if you look at some of the statistics out there, you know, one of the most interesting ones is insidesales.com says that 50% of the sale that happens after a customer visits a place of uh, uh, where a sale could happen, uh, retail front or anything, 50% of that sale actually happens 
and goes to the person who follows up first. Well, if nobody's following up, no sale happens if that mm-hmm. statistic is right. right. And, you know, Jeff, I think there's a few reasons that this happens. And one of them is right up your alley. Uh, in fact, in your book, Be Bold and Win the Sale, you talk directly to this. And it's it's a comfort addiction not to follow up. It's mm-hmm. We make excuses and say, oh, you know, I'm just, if they're interested, they'll let me know. Or, oh, gosh, uh, I don't want to intrude. Oh, it's Sunday. Nobody wants calls on Sundays. Or, oh, if they're interested, they'll call me, you know. I don't want to be the pushy oh, sales. Oh, and you know, Jupiter isn't in Sagittarius. It, it mm-hmm. Give them, give them long enough. They'll come up with something. And, and I think that that's exactly right. We do have those comfort addictions, but, but it's, it's an interesting rub though, because you got salespeople who, if you ask them point blank, is sales follow up important? They're going to say, yeah, it's important. Yeah. And then they just don't do it. And, and I think you're right. I think a lot of that comfort addiction kicks in and prevents them. How much of that do you think is tied just to the fact that, when we think about communication, the best communication, the most effective communication is going to be face to face, right? Mm-hmm. We know that because it's not just it's not just the words that are being shared. It's the inflection. It's the body language and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when you look and you say, if that's the best, well, then what's the next below that? Right. Is it, it it's got to be some sort of of exchange, not just a, a an email is not an exchange, right? An email is just a one-sided conversation that takes place a bit at a time. Yeah. Uh, but certainly when we look at the idea of a phone call, uh, it should be more powerful. And yet salespeople are going to look at it and say, they just don't want to make phone calls. What yeah. do you think it is about, do you think, is it telephobia? Is it just, what do you think it is about salespeople who just do not want to make a phone call? Well, I think it's experience part of it. I mean, if I'm being just as candid as possible. I can remember sitting in the sales office, making follow-up calls, and here's kind of how it would go. I'd get the first registration card, if you will, if anybody remembers the days when you had your little, your file folder box that you ranked your leads, A, B, C, Jeff, you remember these, right? I didn't have a C. But, um, but I would, I'd pull out that first card and okay, it was a John and Sarah and I'd dial the phone number and it would be disconnected. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, well, that's, that's too bad. I'd pick up the next one up wrong number. I'd pick up the next one up disconnected up wrong number up, not interested. Don't call me again. And, and by the time I got to the 10th one, I'm like, well, this is completely unproductive. And that's just me being honest. And so I looked at it as unfruitful primarily because I was looking for instant results. I think this is the exact same phenomenon that happens when you see people go to the gym on January 2nd and quit by January 23rd. Mm-hmm. is they're looking for instant results. And the reality is, is that when it comes to follow-up, if we could change our focus from results to just consistent behaviors, uh, some of that, some of that um, anxiety around making calls starts to go away because now I'm not looking to do it and judging whether I'm good or bad or my sales manager thinks I'm good or bad. Now I'm doing it just because it's what I do. You know, it would be an interesting study to be able to uh, find out. There's no way to do this, of course, but but theoretically, uh, if a salesperson had strong success with the fir- very first call that they made, mm-hmm. how much would that affect them for the literally the rest of their career? Because I do think you're right. We see that happen. We see people who, yeah, uh, you know, we're we're listen. We're all comfort addicts. We all like to be comfortable. We're doing something that we perceive to be massively uncomfortable, and every time we do it, we pay the price again. We just don't want to do it anymore. Uh, yeah, it, it's 100% right. I was just having this conversation with a client earlier talking about how if we could just 
look at it over the long term and measure those results. Like, don't even look at the results. Be results blind and commit to doing follow-up for a solid six months. And just it, just don't even worry about just the fact that you did it. You know what? I did mm-hmm. it. I, I sent the email. I made the phone call, whatever it is. Uh, and then look at the results after you've had consistency in doing it. Then now you have something to look at. Like I said earlier, you see most people quit going to the gym the third week in. And anyone who's ever worked out and done any serious work at the gym knows that it takes four weeks to even start to see any results at all. So the same thing applies here. But, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think experience has a lot to do with it. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I don't think it's lost on anyone listening to this podcast right now that it, there's a big fear of rejection. Right. And, um, you know, people say, well, you know, one no gets you closer to a yes and all these, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big fan of that theory and I'm not, I don't like being rejected no more than, than the next person. So rather than saying, get used to rejection, I'd rather look at it and say, okay, well, this just isn't right for their life right now. You see, part of what inspires someone to want to follow up with a customer is the mindset of why are you following up? Mm -hmm. If I'm following up for me as the salesperson, then I've already got a problem off the right out of the gate is it's about me. And so if I don't get the sale, then I'm upset with me. If I, if you don't respond right, I'm upset at you because it's about me. Right. <laughs> but if my mission is really to be on your mission, in other words, my follow-up is not something I do to you. It's something I'm doing for you because I know your backstory and I know how this product, this, this car, this home, this, you know, cocktail dress, whatever it is you're selling. If I know how it solves a problem you have, then I'm actually not only on your mission, I'm actually obligated to follow up so I can help you. And that mindset makes all the difference in the world. So here's my take on that. Actually, uh, two different uh, approaches. One, you know, sort of in defense of salespeople to some extent, and I, I don't remember where I read this, but it's it's the concept, the, the idea that, uh, and, and Bevan Curtis on our team, uh, we were just talking about this, that when you think about rejection and how we feel about rejection, you can go about 10,000 years where you know, you were you were dependent upon the tribe of people around you uh, for your survival, right? Survival was a group effort right there. And if you got rejected by the tribe, you, you died, right? And so the fear of rejection uh, was uh, significant. And perhaps we have carried that through uh, our own learned human behavior over the centuries to get us to the point where we, even though uh, it, it doesn't have any basis today, uh, but we still carry that around. So there might be something that's hardwired into our DNA around the idea of fear of rejection. However, the trump to that is what you just said, Ryan, and that is that if I'm not following up because I am uncomfortable, to me, that is blatantly selfish. Yep. Because what you're saying is I am putting my desire for comfort ahead of my desire to serve your needs. Uh, that's selfish. That is a selfish way to look at sales. And of course, we're doing nobody any favors at all. So what are you doing, Ryan, these days when you're talking to salespeople in order to increase their confidence, even their desire to want to do more follow-up? You know, I, I think part of it is social proof is showing them how follow-up actually is a good thing and how it actually does serve the customer. Uh, as I'm working with teams around the country on their follow-up skills and, and their behaviors, uh, one of the things we're looking at is how does this actually help? I'll give you a great example. I was just with a team in the uh, LA kind of Santa Clarita area. 
uh, this last week. And uh, one of the salespeople there, her name's Katie. Uh, Katie had a customer come in and she's selling new homes. Uh, she had a customer come in who uh, it was a husband and wife and they had a little daughter by the name of Emma. And Emma it was all excited about the potential about getting a new home. And when Katie figured out what was going on with their family and why they were moving, one of the things that stuck, uh, stood out to her rather was that Emma, the daughter, was really excited to get to play, get this, Jeff, with her soon-to-be-born little brother at this new community. Hmm. So that family didn't buy right then. They went out to go look at several other products. And uh, when I was with Katie and her team, she said, well, you know, what should I do? And I said, why don't you send a video follow-up to the family? And she said, oh, I'm going to send it to Emma. And so she actually recorded a video of herself, Katie, in a swing talking to Emma saying, I can't wait for you to move out here with, with your little brother and you guys are going to have such great memories. And it, and it was, it was so impactful to the family that the, both the spouses, the husband and wife responded to Katie. It was, she sent it via a text message and uh, the text was, Oh my gosh, that was the sweetest follow-up we've ever received. You are such a sweetheart. And they literally uh, let Emma watch the video. Emma, the daughter, She's like seven years old, watched it 10 times. Mm -hmm. And then the mom sent Katie a $10 gift card to Starbucks for sending her the follow-up video. So that when I, when I, when I hear stories like that, like I share that with other people now to say, yeah. here's the upside of following up for somebody, not to somebody. They didn't see it as punitive. They saw it as like right. Katie being so super helpful. But then when you look at it and you think, okay, if a customer is out there and they're trying to decide between option A and option B, and they're not quite sure, there's no distinguishing, differentiating factor. Now we have something that makes such a profound emotional resonance into the mind that we latch onto that. And now it becomes quite frankly, rather difficult to make the other choice because the sales counselor has gone so far out of her way to look at it and say, I just flat out care uh, everybody else around you. And it's weird because to me, a salesperson uh, theoretically should not have that much of an impact. They don't stay with the product after the person buys, and yet they do. The customer gives that salesperson a lot of credit all, along those lines, and there really is that differentiating factor. So talk then about uh, how you do that, about ways to stand out. You use this example here of this video after the fact, but it comes down to these two principles that we talk about extensively, the ideas of speed and personalization. Touch on each of those, please. Well, I think when you're looking at the idea of speed in follow-up, uh, it, it makes sense because if you think about your own buying habits, you know, I, Jeff, I, I have to assume this is true for you. I've known you for years now. Uh, I don't even know what I had for breakfast two days ago. And mm -hmm. when we look at speed, if you're waiting to follow up, I'll give you a really good example of what not to do when it comes to speed. And this will illustrate this point. My wife and I went out to go look at homes uh, a few years back. My wife was out walking around our neighborhood and there was a basketball court on the back end. Anyways, I was out of town and two guys started kind of catcalling her. And um, anyway, long story short, she had to call 911 and run away, run away from them. When I got home the next day, we went out looking for a new home. When we walked into a sales office, uh, I filled out one of their guest cards and all that. And I did get a piece of follow-up. That's one of the pieces of follow-up I've received in the last 15 years. But here's the problem, Jeff, is I didn't receive that follow-up until three weeks after we visited that community. Three weeks later, I mean, 
I had forgotten all about it. In fact, she signed up for gun lessons and she got pepper spray and she changed her what she solved her own problem and took us out of the market. But people always ask, would you have bought a home if that salesperson would have followed up quicker? And the answer is maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I don't know because it didn't happen. Uh, the follow-up I got was three weeks later. And so what's happening is when we talk about speed, what we're looking at is extending that customer's emotional altitude. And by emotional altitude, I mean their positive engagement with that product and, and, and that experience that you provided. Uh, we can assume that that emotional altitude starts to drop the minute they leave the experience of your product or service. A, a day goes by, two days goes by. That emotional altitude, you can track the diminishing uh, levels of that emotional altitude. So if you follow it fast, what you're doing is you are keeping that emotional altitude not only at a high level, but you might actually be increasing it. So speed plays into that super, super much. It, it can't be this idea of, you know, old school training was follow up within 24 to 48 hours. Well, nowadays you might as well wait 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, we're looking at it like, I want you to follow up with them. Like as they're driving out of your parking lot, sending them a quick, what we call taillight follow-up video or a text or something. And then within four hours, a, a, another piece of follow-up. So fast speed. And that speed, I, I think it, it, uh, one of the th interesting things about, about speed is that sometimes salespeople make the mistake of thinking that follow-up is the next, how do I just say this? The next step in the process, right? So I'm, I, maybe I talked to them before we met, we had a pre-conversation. That was step one. And then they came into my office or I went to their office or whatever it was. That was step two. And now I'm going to have a follow-up call. That'll be step three. And then uh, down the road, I'm going to send us more information. That'll be step four. And I disagree with this. I, I don't think that we should look at this as a series of disconnected steps. What we really want to do is think about the, the exchange with the customer like one long ongoing narrative. Like there's an arc to this story and every piece of communication is linked to the communication before and linked to the communication next. So when you talk about, for example, taillight follow-up, where I'm sending them a, a quick text This is nothing more than, hey, you know what? I meet a lot of people in the course of my day, but I really enjoy that conversation. That was really fun. I'm right here for you, and I'll call you in a few hours. Now what's happening, you're extending the conversation that just took place, and you're leading into the next time you're going to chat. So I love this idea of just one long story rather than a series of disconnected steps. In you know, the uh, if if people listening really understood what you just said, as far as uh, it not being disconnected steps that we do, but a long conversation, it implies something that I want to make sure everyone gets. It implies that you actually know your customer well enough to have that extended conversation. I'll mm -hmm. give an example. You know, my good friend, Mike Calderwood out in out in sure. Texas. Sure. Yeah. Hi, Mike. I've yeah, Mike's a good dude. I've known him for 25 years, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I could go three years without seeing Mike. And when I see him the next time, it's like, it's like no time went by at all. Why? Because we have relationship. Mm -hmm. And that is what, what we're talking about here when we talk about extending the experience in that conversation is if I know enough about you as my customer, I can continue that conversation because I can ask questions and talk about those things that are important to you rather than just saying, uh, so why don't you come back and see our product or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm I mean? Just it's, checking it's, in. I'm just checking just, in. That's what I'm supposed to do. In. Just checking yeah, just, in. 
Uh, just we got we still got some for sale. Just saying. Yeah, that relationship aspect is critical, and and so that's where that when we talk about speed and personalization, the personalization comes into play because. Well, if you're going to make it personal, you kind of got to know who these people are. Uh, give us some examples of what personal uh, personalized follow-up might look like. Well, um, so for example, uh, the piece of follow-up that I got three weeks later after my wife and I visited that community sounded like this. It said, Dear Ryan and Melissa, thank you for visiting our community. We still have 14 homes available and would love to schedule a return appointment for you to come back out signed salesperson. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the context of that, all of that is about one person, mm -hmm. the salesperson. Right. You have to ask, yeah. well, why, why wasn't that about us at the basketball court and our peace of mind or my, me being a little freaked out traveling while my wife was home still in that neighborhood? Why? Because the salesperson didn't know that information because it was never asked. There was mm -hmm. no personalization. Right. Um, I'll give you another example of this. So one of the guys I work with, this is hilarious, out in the Vegas area, uh, Andrew, you know Andrew, uh, he, um, he found out from his customers that their dream was to have a pool and that uh, the home they were living in didn't, uh, didn't have a pool. And so their next home, they wanted to make sure it could fit a pool. And that was their big, big deal. So he sent them a piece of follow-up. It was actually a video of him talking to them in a backyard of one of their model homes. And he said, Hey, I know you guys are looking for a pool and, uh, and how important it was. And you know what? I want to invite you to come back out because when you do, this could be you in just a few months. And then he runs and dives into a pool and he caught it on video and sent that to them. Mm -hmm. That's about their mission. That is about them. So there's multiple ways to personalize it and make it about that customer, but you better know them on the front end if you're going to go that route. There, that takes a certain uh, boldness. Takes you're, you're putting yourself out there. It, it, is it does it feel risky to you to do something like that? He's he he's he's putting on a swimsuit. He's he's mm -hmm. he's risking looking stupid here yep. uh, in yep. this process. Well, here's what I think. I think that uh, part of follow up um, not only is speed a piece of it, but one of the main goals of follow up is to get their attention. You got to get people's attention today. I mean, we're we're we live in a society of delete and swipe right. And so if that's the case, you know, you can't, you can't be commoditized in your follow-up or in your sales presentation or really even in your interaction at all. At the mm -hmm. end of someone's shopping, you have to assume they're looking at multiple versions of what you're offering. And if that's the case, you got to jump off the shelf of commodity and stand out. And so well, the way I look at it, Jeff, is when I'm doing follow-up, um, my follow-up, especially if it's going to be something like video, which I'm really just hot on right now, um, is it's got to combine not only information, but entertainment. Because if you look at it, people watch 10 seconds of a YouTube video and if it doesn't grab them, gone, see you later, on to the next. Uh, and, and so as I look at that, look stupid, yeah, Go for it. Absolutely. It's better than looking like everyone else. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, but that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Ryan, just the very idea that uh, if you're not willing to do that, then what's happening? Well, you're being selfish, right? You're like, well, I don't want to be uncomfortable. It's a selfish way to go. The question is not whether you are uncomfortable. The question is, is this in the best interest 
of your customer, right? That's the only thing that really matters uh, uh, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, uh, so we're, we're just about out of time, uh, Ryan. But as you're looking at this, um, uh, you're you're working uh, very diligently uh, with teams on this idea, and um, you're you're really starting to get some traction. You're really starting to f- uh, find that you've got uh, uh, believers out there. Mm-hmm. What do you need to do as a salesperson to make sure your head is right? What do you need to do to make sure that you are are fully engaged mentally as you approach the very idea of follow-up? A uh, couple of thoughts on that, and that's a great question. I, you know, I think there's so many distractions out there in our world, and when you couple that with the idea of comfort addictions, you've really got to set yourself up for success by making sure that you're uh, that you are in a position where you can succeed. So. Uh, off the top of my head, when I look at that, um, I want to make sure that I've really mentally prepared for my follow-up time, which also suggests that I have a follow-up time. Uh, I think a lot of people treat follow-up like they do their savings account. They pay all their bills first and then try to save what's left over. But the problem with that, if you ask Dave Ramsey or any financial coaches, there's usually nothing left over. Right. So people say, well, I'll follow up at the end of the day or the end of the week or when I have time. But look, if you're if you're in sales, you don't have there's no you got to make the time. There's no time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that people need to time block out specific times in their calendar where nothing else is allowed to happen during that time other than follow up. And that's a, that's a discipline. That's the first thing. The second thing is mentally prepare for that time. So what does that mean? It means uh, it means that I'm, I'm getting my mindset right, that I am avoiding distractions, that I, I might be using behavioral triggers to put myself in a positive state so that when I follow up, I don't fall into the trap of, oh gosh, nobody's, nobody's answering the phone. Like, I just get myself psyched up and I'm just going to do this. Uh, I, I just had, had this happen with a team uh, this last Friday, actually. I was with nine salespeople from nine o'clock in the morning until three o'clock in the afternoon. And we focused our whole entire day on doing follow-up videos. And it start, it always starts out slow when I do this because people are in their comfort zones and they're in their mind. And I don't even allow them to get, to get to that point. We, we, we have them focus on what the objectives are and what the goals are. And then it's go, go, go. And we time block the whole day. Nothing else is allowed to happen. With nine people, we sent out 242 follow-up videos in one day. And so, That's amazing. That's it stunning. Is, yeah, it's awesome. And my guess is most of those people had not been doing videos at all up to that point. No, no. I mean, a couple of them had a couple of videos at their desk, like, hey, just checking in, you know, whatever. But, I mean, right. that, that story of uh, Katie on the swing came out of that training. We had... Uh, yeah. Several others where they were, you know, they did group videos. I mean, it's just fun stuff, but the responses were, I mean, most of the time you do follow up, you don't hear anything. Right. The response, I think we got 42 responses back before like one o'clock. Yeah, it's incredible. It was incredible. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, great, great stuff with Ryan Taft on follow-up. And let me just encourage you, if you're a salesperson, you've got to set your own desire for comfort aside. You have to be able to look at it and ask yourself the fundamentally important question, which is, who is this for? Who is this follow-up for? 
If it's for you, uh, you're probably going to look away to minimize it. If it's for your customer, you're going to want to maximize it. So we're going to stop making just those lame, hey, just checking in. We're still selling here. Are you still buying? No, no. We want to make this fast and we want to make it personal and we want to be uh, as, as we just take that mindset that says, I'm going to serve and I'm going to serve and I'm going to serve and then I'm going to sell. So stop with the commission breath on your follow-up. Start looking at it and saying, what do I do to try and serve this person's need, to try and help them help make it easy for them to do what they want to do anyway? And there's one last thing here. As a sales professional, you gotta find a way to stand out from everybody else. I'm telling you right now, right? You heard Ryan say it. I've said it, the research is all there. People are not investing themselves in follow-up the way that they need to, which means when you follow-up and when you do good follow-up, fast follow-up, personalized follow-up, what's going to happen? You're going to stand out like there is no tomorrow. That is when you get the sale. That is when you change their world. We'll see you next time on The Buyer's Mind. 